Good morning. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you receive you, deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Jeremiah 29, 1-14. Good morning. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your actions. Thank you that you care so much about our everyday lives that you don't leave us to ourselves, but you intervene. And I ask today that you would intervene again. God, we don't just need it once in history. We need it all the time. And so intervene again now. Take over. Speak through me your word to these, your sons and daughters. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. The words of Christ were this in John chapter 8, that if the Son has set you free... You will be truly free. That's how we started this Live Free Sermon series just a couple of months ago. That's how we're going to continue. 
this Live Free sermon series, focusing on how God wants to set you free from all of the addictions and the cycles of sin and the habits that hinder you from living the life he's called you to. And he wants to walk with you through the mess of this life so you can find freedom on the other side. But he also wants you to stay free. And it's that last idea that I have wrestled with so much personally as I have considered how I can help you, but also how I can carry out that passage myself. How do you stay free? When God sets you free from something and he finally gives you the joy and the peace that is found in his presence, so you no longer run to old ways of living, old ideas, but you finally live and experience what he's always designed for you, how do you stay in it? Because it's hard. It's hard to stay in it, not just for a day, but even for hours, right? It is a consistent fight. And it makes sense when you consider it as an ongoing, everlasting fight because of what you are warring against. You're warring against old patterns of living that you have developed over years, over daily waking up and doing the same thing over and over and over again. So it would make sense that you would have to combat that with that level of intensity, that level of warfare, that level of engagement if you were going to consistently walk in freedom. And I think what God has really impressed upon me is that when it comes to addictions or generational lies, or cycles of thought. If you want to have victory, you have to recognize the reality that you're at war. And over the last few weeks, it's become clear that we are in the midst of wartime, even though we're not always in the intensity of the battle. That your spiritual soul is at war for whether you're going to have freedom or whether you're going to live in captivity. And you need to know that you should always be fighting. You should always have the mentality of war. And what I mean by that is you may not always feel the level of intensity of trying to overcome something that is oppressing you in the moment. But if you don't understand that it's just around the corner ready to oppress you, you're not on edge, you're not ready to the point where when it comes that you can push back against what is fighting against you. We are at war and we're always fighting And there will be victories, but there will also be setbacks. And if we don't recognize that in the midst of victory, we will find ourselves immediately after victory and vulnerability to the same thing we just overcame, we will lose again and again and again. And so the thing that we've been set free from will come back around as a cycle to see if it can bring us back into bondage if we are not ready for the fight. The other thing about victory is that you can't let these small losses become major defeats. That as you're fighting, as something's warring against you, maybe you have that one small lie. Maybe you have that moment of anger. Maybe you have that moment where you say, I I know I shouldn't, but I'm still going to. Just because you had that moment doesn't mean that it needs to be the path that you continue to walk down. So you have a small loss that can become a major defeat 
If you do not confront it immediately, small losses can no longer crush you if you know that you're fighting for victory. And so we can't let those setbacks just become what we settle into. But I also just want to encourage you to celebrate the small victories. Celebrate the small victories. That you finally faced the thing that held you back. That's victory. That you didn't react to your boss or your spouse or your kid the same way as you did yesterday. Small victories. It is small victories that lead to great wins. But how do you live in a wartime mentality? How do you stay free and walk perpetually into ever-increasing, never-decreasing victory? I think what the scriptures continue to say is it's this idea of submission. Specifically, what are you choosing to take in your mind and in your heart to submit to and to trust in? Is it God Almighty, His ways, His truth, His view over you? Or is it your default, your regular norms? What are you submitting to? And I just recognize it's not just a daily choice. It's something for me that I have to choose every hour. I have to recognize in my mind that if I'm not submitting to God in every moment and fighting for that submission, I'm losing ground. If I'm not walking in the path that he has set out because I've not submitted to it, but I'm walking in default, I'm going to lose. Because I am really good at victory for a day. Usually after I've lost, because I'm motivated to win the next one. And so I can come back stronger tomorrow and be like, all right, I'm going to win. And I can keep it going for a few days on my own effort, with my own kind of energy. I got my plan set out. I got the alarm clock going, and I wake up. But then my days get off around Thursday. And I just can't wait for Sunday again, because worship like this causes me to go, yep, I'm good. I'm back in the fight. God's king. I love him. I can't wait to be around him. And then Monday hits, and I'm like, okay, I can overcome this. I could just get to community group. And then after community group, I'm like, okay, that was good. Then Thursday comes, and I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I'm tired. And so I want to talk about submission as a path to freedom, both because it sounds counterintuitive, but also because it's the clear message of Scripture, that when you find yourself in submission to God as a lifestyle and a habit, you will find yourself staying free and living more into his victory. I just want to make four observations this morning about submission as a path to living and staying free. And the first observation is this. If freedom is the fight, submission is the way to victory. How do I get it from this passage in Jeremiah? This passage in Jeremiah is like famous, mainly because it's got like the quintessential coffee cup verse that we all love and we all want to claim as true for us in every moment, that God has a plan for us, not to harm us, but to prosper us, a plan for a hope and a future. That's how we receive it. 
That is not how the people of Israel received it. They hated that word. They hated Jeremiah for saying it, and they tried to kill him. Chapter 29 is the culmination of four chapters where Jeremiah is confronting false prophets who are not speaking on behalf of God in the midst of difficult circumstances for the people of Israel, where Israel has just been taken over by Babylon. All of their leaders, their prophets, their king and queen, their great wise men and women have been taken from them and taken into captivity in Babylon, and they are looking at God going, what happened? Why is God doing this? And what do I have to do to get out of this circumstance? And they have these prophets that come and say, don't worry, it's totally fine that you're in captivity. It's actually just going to end in a couple years. Just wait. And Jeremiah comes and says, they're liars. They have no idea what they're talking about. Hide your wife, hide your kids. It's time to get to, get to war. And he comes in with this word and they reject him. They bring him before the courts to actually kill him. And then in chapter 27, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, I want you to become a living art piece that is prophetic to the people that when they see you, they understand what I'm doing. He says, create a yoke around your neck and walk around with it and tell them that I have chosen Nebuchadnezzar, that I have chosen Babylon to come and to overcome you because of your rebellion that over a course of many years, you will turn your heart back to me and you will begin to depend upon me instead of earthly kings and earthly leaders. You will come back to me as God and depend on me alone. If you see that this is the yoke that I've now put upon Israel, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, take that yoke upon you. Submit to his leadership and to what I am doing on a grand scale. How does that sound to everybody? Not fun. Even in our own political system, it doesn't sound fun. And so the prophets walk up to Jeremiah one day and they break that yoke. And they look around to everybody that's, that's watching and they say, what I have just done to Jeremiah, God is going to do to Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and then Jeremiah, after going to seek God and going, is, is he right or am I right? Jeremiah says this in chapter 28. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars from off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go, tell Hananiah. Thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. <laughs> this year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. <laughs> well, that went well for Hananiah. 
The same goes well for us when we don't submit to the word of the Lord. If we want to choose a path of shortcuts to get to the success, to get to the joy and peace that's temporary and momentary, we will find death. You and I have all chosen shortcuts. We've all turned to the easy, natural path that we think is going to satisfy. And at the end, on the other side of it, it's just death. It's emotional. It's social. Our relationships fall apart. All because we choose shortcuts to freedom instead of submitting to God's ways and plans for freedom. Shortcuts always backfire. And so the question that I have for you is, what shortcuts are you submitting to? And there's a few shortcuts that I want to confront that you may not even recognize because they just have saturated and permeated your body and your mind. The first are generational patterns. Generational patterns, things that you have inherited from your family as normal living. Maybe they've even been spoken over you by your parents as this is what you should think, this is how you should live, this is what your life should be about. Generational patterns. Generational patterns can either be blessings. God says that the blessings of generations can go on into eternity, that you can have a blessing over you. And each of us have parents that have blessed us in some ways, even the bad ones. You've been blessed in some way. But there are other things that your parents, that we as parents say and do and that our lifestyle that become generational curses that are actually holding people captive and holding people back. Um, I, I recognize this most um, when Amber and I do marriage counseling because when a couple gets married, they're all happy and excited and the honeymoon is great. And eventually the honeymoon ends. And what they begin to realize is that they didn't just marry one person. Two individuals didn't come together. Two families came together. And there is a default way of living as a family in your home that you revert back to after you're done trying to impress (laughs) the person sleeping next to you. And then they don't line up, which doesn't make any sense. They should think exactly the way I should think. (laughs) This should be how we live every weekend and every night. And it's these generational patterns. And in every single one, you need to consider which of the generational patterns does God want to redeem? And which are we have an opportunity of our generational patterns to repent from, to leave behind? to let go of, that are no longer beneficial to our future? What are the generational lies and patterns and norms that you have been living into that are no longer serving you because they never served God in the first place? God told Abraham, leave your family behind. The message of marriage is that you leave your family behind and you cling to your spouse. There are aspects of everything in your family, there are parts of it that you will have to leave behind. What generational patterns, what generational lies, what generational curses need to be broken, need to be broken today 
They don't need to be something that you just are like, well, one day. Maybe when we have a little bit more time in our family schedule, a little bit more, less, less stress, then I can deal with it. God says, why? Why? Why would you let wooden bars or iron bars continue to stay on you? What does he want to break? The second is just societal norms. There are societal norms that we become so saturated with that it just becomes what you do. Because you do it for the gram, right? Instagram and social media are the easiest things to see. Societal norms that society says, this is acceptable way of living and this is not. And you must bend the knee to society, not to your Savior. And in doing so, hear me, I am the least of the ones that want to be anti-culture. Culture is not the enemy. But there are things behind certain societal norms that are not of God. And so we need to have lenses and filters the way that we take our pictures on societal norms that our lenses would be the eyes of God seeing what the world believes and asking, is this of God? If it's of God, join in that. But if it's not of God, we have to reject it. And the last is just the habit and cycle of sin that you have told yourself, this is just who I am and this is just how I live. God does not see you as your cycle of sin. He sees you as his son and daughter free because the son, Jesus Christ, has set you free. And so submit not to your sin but submit to the redemption and the resurrection and the victory over sin found in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we see that submission was the way to victory. Every day, he submitted to the Father's will, showing that submitting to what the Father was doing and joining what the Father was doing inside the culture he was in caused victory and healing and freedom for others. Shalom. Peace and prosperity, wholeness. That's what he saw happen over and over and over again. And then he submitted to the Father's will to die on the cross. We find him going, I don't want to do this. Find him just the way you find yourself at times going, I don't want to follow your will. I don't want to follow your ways. I'd rather reject this. Is there another cup? Is there another way? Is there another temporary pleasure I can run to? But then eventually Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And he lays his life down and that in death, victory is achieved. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't always make sense except with God. So what words are you submitting to? God invites you to submit to his words instead of lies that sound comfortable. So how do you discern? How do you know if it's of God or not? I've heard that question so much because I have said so often, I hear from God. Here, Hananiah says, this is the word of the Lord. And Jeremiah says, this is the word of the Lord. How do you know what is the word of the Lord? Well, there's no formula. But we do have the Spirit, we have evidence, and we have community. 
And we should not ignore any of those three when we try to discern what is the word of the Lord. Jeremiah sends this letter to the exiles, but they also heard what Hananiah was saying. And yet we get to read when Daniel hears the word of Jeremiah that he says, this is true. There is a spirit that he and Jeremiah had both submitted to the Lord, and because of that, they both were able to confirm that's God's word. The Holy Spirit has been given to each of us to be able to confirm it. But when each of our confirmations are in conflict, God says there's more to the story. And the first is evidence. The first round of evidence that you want to seek is the actual literal word of God in the Bible to say, is this like God? Does it sound like him? Does God do these things? Does he speak this way? The second round of evidence is just fruit. What fruit is it actually bearing? Is it coming to pass or not? And sometimes that takes time. Ananias said, it's going to be two years. Jeremiah was like, maybe 70? Um, And so sometimes it takes time. But in our day right now, we're not patient. We're not patient to let a word go forth and see if it actually bears any fruit. We're not patient to say it could be or it could not be. Let's see what happens. See, Acts chapter 4 has become something that is so meaningful in my life because in Acts chapter 4, there's this story where John and James, I think it's the, no, it's Peter, I don't know. One of the, two of the disciples, so important to me, um, two of the disciples <laughs> heal a guy, they get arrested, and they get called before the religious leaders, and the religious leaders are like, we're going to kill you for healing someone, you know, as religious people do. And... Then they, they begin to debate, what should we do with them? And Caiaphas, the high priest, stands up and says, if this is of God, there is nothing you can do because God always wins. And if it's not of God, it'll just fade and die, just like all the rest. Spirit, evidence, but then Community. None of us are solo Christians. You're individually standing before God, but we are collectively, LMCC, as a church, as a community, in your small group, standing before God together. And this is freeing for you, not something that holds you back. See, sometimes we're afraid to share with our community because we may either, one, sound like we're crazy, or two, they may contradict what we're saying. But you will never find the truth unless you actually share it with the community around you so that they can come with you on it. And this too is submission. Because you are not submitting to your own ideas of what God wants to do and what God wants to say to you, but you are submitting to a people that will confirm, this is of God, let's go this way. Conviction must be governed by consensus. That if we hear the word of the Lord, we must submit it to other people so that they will confirm it. And sometimes it sounds crazy. And sometimes we have to go and fight and discuss and pray until we finally get the answer. It is always worth it, no matter how slow it is. This is a chance for our rebellious hearts to become soft. That we would no longer believe in pride that you and I know better than God and you and I know better than the people of God and the word of God. Submission is the way to victory as we fight for freedom. 
I didn't think I was going to go as long on that one, so let's speed up the other three. Um, the second observation, observation is this. If submission is ultimately a yes to God, it will require a no to others. If submission is a yes to God, it will require a no to others. I mentioned Daniel. When he hears the word of Jeremiah, um, he's the one that gets taken into captivity. And he has to submit ultimately to God, even though he has been brought into Babylon. And the Babylonian discipleship process was to dominate a kingdom and then overcome them by training their leaders to think like the Babylonians. They tried to control all of their life so that they would no longer live in their culture, but they would live by one culture, the Babylonian way. And everything, and how you think, how you live, and how you eat. So the first thing we read in Daniel chapter 1 is about a choice of menus. That there was a way that the king ate that he wanted every one of his leaders and wise men and women to, to do and follow. And Daniel says, that's not what God has called me as a Jew to do for my body. And so with food, he goes and appeals to the leadership around him and says, instead of me eating the way the king eats, let me eat the way God tells me to eat. Doesn't that just seem mundane? Doesn't it seem less important than other ideas or way to think or what to love? And yet, it's in the mundane when you submit in obedience, that you're ready for the major things to submit in obedience. And all he says is, he makes an appeal to leaders, and he says, instead of the king's food, give me vegetables and water. And the Daniel diet was born. <laughs> and they say, well, this is not the way we've done it. And he says, well, just test us for 10 days and just see what happens. And after 10 days, they were healthier, they were stronger, they were more attuned mentally than the others around them. And so they continued to eat that way. And then when they were finally brought before the king to prove whether or not they could be leaders in the kingdom, it says that Daniel and his colleagues that were from Israel that ate this way were 10 times smarter and stronger and more able than the people around him. 10 times. See, if submission never becomes public, it never becomes powerful. We treat religion as this private act. Privately, you have a heart that submits to God. But that means nothing if publicly you reject Him. If He presses upon you something that seems mundane, the way you live, the way you work, how you rest, when you rest, when you're going to be available for work, when you're going to be available to do other things for people. He speaks to you in private so that you would live differently in public. And so he's asking for a private yes to be lived out publicly before others in every way, the mundane to the major things. Because we, get, we are so familiar with Daniel in the lion's den, but that was born with what Daniel ate in Daniel chapter 1. He was able to endure the lion's den and to say no to bowing and worship to the king of Babylon and say, I only have one king and that's God. Even if it costs me my life, my job, everything, I submit to God. 
And the lion's den was filled with taunts and threats. Are you really ready to die for Christ? Are you really ready to die for your God? Are you really ready to lay it all down for him no matter what the cost? But when you trust in God, we see in Daniel and the lion's den that there's no teeth. (laughs) He literally shuts the mouth of the lions. And that's how God gets the glory. So the king runs to the lion's den and says, Daniel, tell me that your God gave you victory. See, when we say a public, when we do public submission to God, God begins to get glorified and his victory begins to advance in this city. That's what he's asking of us. So what simple act of obedience do you need to say yes to for God? One of the most private that we're going to be talking about in a few weeks is giving. I bring it up not because we're like, oh, we need money, please give us money. God's been gracious and generous to us, and I trust that he will continue to. I bring it up because it's an act of obedience in your own heart that no one else sees. And there's an aspect where that might be a clear picture of what else no one else sees that you haven't fully submitted to God. Is it where you go to for pleasure? Is it where you go to for affirmation? What is the simple act of obedience that you need to trust and submit to God on? And then how does that manifest itself publicly? Where is the connection? Submission is a yes to God. It will require a no to others over time. Now, speaking of others, the third observation is that others are given to us as a practice for submission to God. Others are given to us as a practice for submission to God. And this is where societal structures and the people around us that offend us and we're still supposed to submit to them cause challenges and conflict and attention in our minds. But we see in Daniel a willingness to say, God appoints kings. And so in this moment, I'm asked to submit to this. We see similar language in the New Testament with Paul, but he begins to make it more relational than political. And so Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, talks about how to use your freedom. He says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. For do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Why does God put people and governing systems around us to challenge us to practice? First, because practice reminds us that the ultimate goal is beyond 
our present reality. The ultimate goal is the advancement of Christ's kingdom, not a political agenda. The ultimate goal is to advance God's kingdom, not your personal success. The ultimate goal is that King Jesus would get glory, not you. That's the ultimate goal. And that's why you're confronted in relationships and in community and in marriage and family and in jobs and in politics with this fact that you don't have power to overcome the systems that have already been established. It's frustrating. It's humbling that you would have to submit to the needs and the ways and the ideas of others. And it's also reality. And God says it's actually something that is good for you. That if you would learn to submit, if you would learn to trust me and what I've established. Now hear me. Please be careful not to equate the issues of injustice that you currently see or that our country has experienced with the issues that he is speaking to right here in the scriptures. They're not equivalent, so don't make that leap because there is no formula. This is not an always mandate that you should submit to systems of governance no matter what because here, Daniel and the people of Israel have the word of the Lord spoken and confirmed that that is what they are to do for 70 years and then God's going to overthrow that kingdom. But there's other times where he says, Gideon, gather the men, go to war, and overthrow this place because I'm tired of them holding my people captive. Moses, go and confront Pharaoh, confront power. It is time to set my people free. There is no formula. You're ultimately submitting to God, but you don't learn to do that unless you start to submit to one another. But Paul says you also don't do that unless you force your body to submit to God. He says, I discipline my body. Every athlete exercises self-control. You are not submitted to your pleasures or your feelings or your wants, but you've submitted even your very body and every ounce of it to God himself to do what he wants. There is this practice of growth of submission to say, I personally will submit to God. I will personally submit to the people around me and their needs and their wants and their loves because when I submit to them and their wants and their welfare, I get welfare. I get peace when I seek and establish the peace of others. He gives us so many chances to practice so that you would have victory when it matters. So many relationships that you would say, what is your need and how I become all things to all people? How do I seek the good? Of others. And this is where the fourth observation comes into play. Submission requires a plan if it's ever going to lead to sustainable freedom. Submission requires a plan if it's ever going to live to or lead to sustainable freedom. The word of Jeremiah isn't just, hey, just submit to the king and do what he says. The word of Jeremiah is build houses. Live in them the way God has called you. Plant gardens. Be fruitful. Multiply. Bless. Because in doing so, you will be blessed. 
It's a simple word of faithfulness. Faithful where he's planted you. Faithful where he's placed you. Faithful in the ways of God where he's put you. That's, that's just a, re, um, a renewing of the covenant and the mandate that God has always spoken to his people. Establish homes that are healthy and vibrant. Be successful and fruitful where I've placed you. Be faithful with little so I can make you faithful with much. Show me I can trust you with where I've put you. Here Paul talks about an athlete saying that he beats his body so that he can be successful when the game comes. It requires that we have a plan. And a plan is very different from a law because a plan requires a unique awareness of who God has made you to be and how you need to discipline yourself and how you need to live in such a way that you will connect with God, you will hear his voice, and you will learn obedience in following him. It's, there's a unique mandate that God gives to his people. But Paul understood, in all humility, he had a good estimation of his own intellect. He had a good estimation of the needs of others. See, because this is something that is for the smart, and for those of us who are not as 99.9 percentile smart. Because here Paul says, I know how to submit to those under the law that live differently than me. And so he is intellectually planned and engaged before he actually interacts with them to be able to say, this is what they will need from me when I interact with them. Those who don't know anything about the law, I have a plan to care and interact with them. This is an intellectually honest faith that says, I will consider in my mind how I will live in my life in such a way that I will engage those who are skeptical. I will engage those who are sensitive and I know how to engage both differently. That I will not mandate a law and a way of living. I will seek to find God's plan in God's ways. Submission is the way to victory in the fight of freedom. If it's a yes to God, it will require no to others. Others are given to us as a practice of submission, and it requires a plan if it's ever going to be sustainable. I want to remind you of the words of Jeremiah here that this is ultimately a matter of the heart as much as it is of the mind. He says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. When Paul talks about this level of disciplining his body, there's only one other time that it is used in all of the New Testament. And that's with the persistent widow where Jesus tells this story of a persistent widow that is in in such need that she never stops knocking, she never stops seeking, she never stops asking until she gets the answer. And so will you, as a matter of the heart, say, I want freedom so much that I will submit to seeking God more than I seek my own ways, that I will submit all my ways to God, all my thoughts, all my loves, so that God will answer and provide for me that freedom. See, because God says, just simply be faithful. And he's so clear, because he says, just be faithful because I got your future. Just be faithful because I got your hope. Just be faithful to me because I got your peace. That's all he asks. 
Church, how do you stay free? There's no better fight, but it is a fight. Jesus stands over and outside of an empty tomb and says, the battle is already won. Will you join the victor? Will you submit to the king who can overcome all things? Or will you submit to yourself over and over and over again, no matter how many times you lose? I said last week, King Jesus will win. I still believe it. But it's not just winning in the big issues. It's winning in every single issue you face. Over time, in an ongoing way, if the sun sets you free, you will be truly free. Let's pray. Father, I wish I could conjure up freedom. I wish I could cast spells that would create freedom in every moment for myself and for this body. I wish I had that power. And on my own, I do not. But thanks be to God that Jesus, you saw us powerless You saw us weak and you became weak on our behalf so that the strength of your victory would become the strength for our victory. So Spirit, come and set people free. Come and give us the power to live in freedom, to be truly free, to break the chains that have existed for generations to break the chains that we have chosen, to break the chains that feel like we'll never be free. Let freedom fall by your work, Holy Spirit, for where you are, there is freedom. So come and grant freedom now. In Christ's name, amen. Now we're gonna enter into a time of response where we're gonna continue to worship. Worship itself is a submission of your voice, whether it's good or bad, (laughs) to the one who deserves it, to the one who has earned it, to declare with your full body in song, songs of victory, songs of hope, songs of triumph. And as we sing, prison walls (laughs) come down. So as we sing, there will be a chance for you to receive communion where the brokenness of Christ was done for your brokenness to heal. The blood was shed for your sin that you would be cleansed and free forever. So if you believe, come and receive. But I mentioned that there are generational patterns. There are lies that you've submitted to. It's time for freedom. It's time for freedom again. And so we have people in the back to pray for you that the power of God, that the Holy Spirit and the prayers of his people would come upon you and would overwhelm you in whatever way God wants to so that you would have freedom. Freedom to walk tomorrow, freedom to walk the next day, freedom to believe and to live free. So whatever you need, let's worship.
and sing and let's seek God with our whole heart. Do it now. So please receive this as a blessing. Your Father loves you. Whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, your Father loves you. Jesus is your King. He'll give you the victory. And you have His Spirit. It's in you. It's with you. He's for you. Go in peace. Amen.